0: Father, as we come to you right now, God, I pray that that all of us would be able to take our attention and just stare fully at you, that we'd be reminded that you are a a good and kind and merciful and loving Father. God, I pray for those of us who have had bad experiences with our fathers, I, I pray that you would fix that experience, that we wouldn't let bad fathers to distort our view of who you are. God, we would let your the view of who you are informed the way fathers should be. So God, I'm just praying that you would help us see you as a good father. God, I pray that our hearts would well up in worship of you and that we would trust you deeply. God, I also ask for the rest of this time as we continue to worship, God, would you help me to teach? I'm asking you would help me to teach and to teach clearly and accurately. I'm asking your spirit would use it in all of our hearts. God, would you also help all of us to listen? God, give us, tender, soft hearts towards your word. God, I pray you would start a fire in our hearts that they wouldn't just be tender and soft, that they'd be burning hot with love for you. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. You already already sat down, so I didn't need to say that. Apparently, y'all know the routine. that's awesome. Let me just say a few things before we get started here. The first thing is uh, we're doing communion as part of today's service. So if you did not get one of these as you came in, uh, it's going to be awkward in about 20 minutes. I just need to give you heads up. You're going to be scrambling if you didn't get one of these. I think they're back by the entrances. You can you can get one of those. Hopefully you all got that and a bulletin on your way in. That's kind of how we communicate um, with everyone. The other thing is this. This uh, next Wednesday. Um, this is super important for our church family. I just want to highlight it, it's it's in the bulletin. But in case you missed it, uh, we're voting to, uh, to install Roger Wynn as a deacon. So for our church members, we're doing a COVID-friendly drive-up voting. I don't I don't know how to do mail-in ballots. I'm not good at that or online voting. I just we're just going to drive up, you know, hand you a thing, let you fill it out, and we'll pray with you. And we'll go underneath that little over overhang right over there. Portico is the technical church term. Did y'all know that? OK, I just learned it this week. The thing we drop off in the rain is called a portico. So for those of you who are high class, add that to your vocab or was already there. The rest of us, we're just going to use it in a fancy way from here on out. So underneath the portico, drive up voting this Wednesday. Um, would you go ahead and open up your Bibles to Titus chapter 1? And um, I'm going to kind of just jump right in. As, as you're turning there, let me kind of tell you what's been going on. For the last several weeks, we've been in the book of Titus. And the thing I love about the book of Titus is Paul has gone onto this island of Crete Now, if you want to know what Crete is like, you need to Google it right now on your phone. It's a luxury island in the Mediterranean. The water is beautiful. It looks like a fantastic place. If God would call me to Crete, please don't be offended by this, but it would not be hard for me to say, no, I will preach the gospel in Crete as as long as you will let me. Uh, It's beautiful. If you hate the beach, you don't want to go to Crete. Okay, I just want to tell you that. Um, But so Paul starts all these churches in the island of Crete and he leaves and leaves us young guy named Titus and he says Titus you got a job to do I need you to finish setting up these churches you need to establish them organize them and set up the leadership and then as we've been going on we've looked uh, for the last several weeks of what that leadership is supposed to look like mainly it's supposed to be a group of elders in every church not not one elder A group of elders in every single church and those elders have to have godly character, the way they lead their homes and lead their families, the way they live their lives. And the thing that's been amazing to look at is as you see all of those character traits, there's not one skill that we've looked at so far that the elders have to have. He doesn't say they got to be good businessmen. He doesn't say they got to be smooth talkers. He doesn't say they got to know how to work a room. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says they've got to have character, godly character, and all the time, not just in front of people, at home. They've got to be real deal followers of Jesus. And this week, we get to look at the very first skill set. It's actually the only skill set that Paul says that an elder has to have. Now, Now, as I say that, let me remind you what we've been talking about. Uh, The goal for us is this. It's not just to have a neat little study. The goal for us has been, let's look and see what the Bible says. And let's look and see what we do and what we believe. And if what the Bible says does not match our belief and our practice, we've got three choices. Our three choices are simply this. We can ignore what the Bible says. Or we can edit what the Bible says and pretend it says something different. Or we can change what we believe and what we do. And the rub for that, I don't know, have y'all felt the rub the last couple weeks? Okay, I'm going to take that chuckle as a yes. Like, listen, a group of elders leading a church, does that feel like a rub for anyone else or am I the only one? Because that's going to impact me. Okay, that, that's a rub, right? The, the type of character, when we talk about divorce, that felt like a rub. We talked about alcohol, that, that felt like a rub. Man, I'm not going to get y'all to nod for nothing, am I? Okay. Listen, at least you'll laugh. I'm good with that. I just, listen, I, I know I keep saying this. You're allowed to help me preach this sermon. Y'all know that, right? Like, and maybe you're thinking, I don't want to do that. I don't want to preach for 45 minutes to an hour, but if I feel like I got to whip you up, I'm going to go longer. I need y'all to give me some amens. Go get it. Like help me preach this thing. Okay. That's, I'm, I'm done doing that right now. So look, Here's the one skill set that the elder has to have. The the one thing that Paul cares about. Let me look at Titus chapter one, verse five. It says this, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. That's right where he starts off. Here's what I left you to do. Get it organized, set up the elders in every single town. Let me skip down to verse nine because this is where we're picking up today he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, call those windbags, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Goodness. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Listen, there's a whole lot in those verses, but those are our verses for today. Let Let me tell you what the first thing that I see here. Verse nine, he said this. He said that this man, he must hold firm. He must tie himself. It's almost like he needs to glue himself to the word. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Here's the thing that Paul says is is the foundational underlying thing about this guy. Not just that he has good godly character, but this man has to hold firmly to the word. He's got to cling to it. He's got to tie himself to it. And if the word goes down, so does he. That's that's the foundational belief that this guy has to have. He's got to grab onto this thing. And he cannot be shaky on the word. Doesn't mean he knows what every passage means about everything. But it means this. When he enters into the word, he's firm about what the word is and what the word clearly teaches. There's not waffling on this. There's not this this lack of belief that it's authoritative or that it's clear. Like this has to be a man that says the word is trustworthy. It's clear. It's authoritative. And I'm going to lean on that and nothing else to do my job. That's that's the qualification here. The belief system that this guy has to have. Listen, if this man is not firm in the word, you know what that means for him? He's going to waffle on things he ought not to waffle ought not waffle on. It's going to be too hard. Listen, I'm going to show you why I think it's going to be too hard, but this is, if he's not firm on the word, he's going to be tempted to use other methods to get the church to grow. If he's not firm on the word, listen, the pressure of the culture is going to get this church to compromise on what the word says. If he's not firm on the word, the frustration of the people, will cause him to compromise on what the word says. Like this man who's got godly character has got to hold firmly to the word. He's got to have like a a life grip on this thing. Like he's clinging to that thing for dear life. Now now listen, I uh, I feel like I've had a little bit of a journey on this. Because as I say that, some of you might immediately be like, well, that's great for a pastor. but, But my concern is not, just me. My concern is you. I I want you to have a firm grasp on the word. I want you to hold on to it. I want you to believe that it's trustworthy and reliable and authoritative and clear. I want you to really believe that. And and listen, there's a lot of tough questions you got to work through to get there. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how many, have anybody here ever been through the ringer when it comes to whether or not the Bible is the real word of God? Anybody here gone through that? Like, it, it's kind of a rattling feeling. Like, m- my personal journey on this, I mean, I felt God call me to ministry, and I-, I go off to school, and all of a sudden, these dudes start asking me some questions about the Bible. I didn't know what to do with it. Have you ever been asked one of those questions? You start getting asked these questions like, like how do we know the Bible doesn't have errors and mistakes in it? How do we know this is the real Bible? Like how do we get these? What about these other books that were written? Like there's this huge list of questions. And then then what happened, and I don't know if this is good of them to do or bad, but they started rattling me in a way that started making me ask a whole lot of questions about this book And then those questions made me ask other questions like, well, if that's not real, was Jesus real? And how can I trust what this says? They they shook me to my core and forced me to dig deeply into how we got the word and a whole lot of different studies. And, And I want you to know it was not fun and it was not easy, but it was really good for me. It was really good. I did not come out on the other end of that having more doubts about the Bible. I actually came out the other side of that being even more convinced about the the authority and truthfulness of the scripture. They made me dig into people who abused the Bible. Like that one rattled me more than the Bible itself. What rattled me more was these people who took the Bible and twisted it to use and say really ungodly things. Y'all seen that before? Listen, I, I, we're seeing that all over the place. A couple weeks ago, I was going through Bible classes and, uh, here at the school, and one of the, the kids started asking me, I could not believe how many high school kids were asking me this question. They were asking me about interracial dating and about racism. That was, that was the question they wanted me to talk about, I, um, which is really fun because they throw you off. Okay, we're playing games with the pastor now. I get it. Uh, so they're asking these questions, and here's one of the things I had to tell these students. I had to tell them, and we talked about this a year before, the Bible doesn't say that's a sin. Men said that was sin and they took the Bible to twist it to say that. You know what that does to, to people when you take the Bible and twist it to say something it's not supposed to say? Listen, you undermine the word. And, and listen, those are the things that have probably rattled me the most when I, when I wrestle with the word. It's men who have twisted it. Uh, And I hope that you haven't experienced that too much. But the reality is men twisting the word doesn't mean the word isn't good. It means the men aren't. You need to hear that. Uh, Someone twisting the scripture to say something it doesn't say, it doesn't mean the word is bad. It means the men are twisting the good word. The word is Trustworthy and I want to give you a couple books. You can write these down because for some of you, I don't know where you're at in your journey. You may have gotten rattled in college as they're asking you questions about creation versus evolution or where did all the water go in the flood or Jesus wasn't the real historical Jesus. Any of those questions... Been posed to any of y'all. I want to see if y'all even wrestle with that. Or if I'm like the only. Okay, good. The eight of us in here. Let me give you two books that I think are really helpful for this. Uh, the first one is The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Um, this is an old book, but it's a pretty good book. It's a guy that's a journalist and he shares his story. He wanted to write a bunch of articles disproving Christianity and proving that Jesus wasn't real. So he started visiting, he's writing these articles and he was visiting Bible scholars to prove it wasn't real, and he actually on the other side of it ended up converting and believing that Jesus was real and here's what's powerful about this book when you read it you actually will read the arguments that the Bible is trustworthy and that Jesus is a real historical figure like it's It's powerful for that. If you're having doubts, I want you to read that book. Another one that's really helpful is it's a really big, thick book, but there's two chapters in it. It's a book called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. Uh, If you're not interested in these, ignore this next part. But if you are, write it down. The first couple chapters are about the authority and and where we got the Bible. So chapter three is about inerrancy and chapter five is about the canon or maybe I got those backwards, but it's something like that. Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology. Listen, for some of us, we need to study and get ourselves solid on where we got the word and that it's trustworthy and we can depend on it. But okay, that's that's all academic stuff. Here's the question that matters to me. Why does this guy need to hold firmly to the word? Paul's going to give a reason why in verse nine. Look at what he says there. He says that he has to hold firmly to the word. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. The, the, the first reason a pastor and an elder has to hold firmly to the word is he has to be able to teach you the word. He has to be able to teach it accurately to you. He needs to teach it in a way that's practical. It needs to make you spiritually healthy. Now, listen, as I say that, don't hear something else. Don't hear that the only source of your growth is supposed to be the pastor preaching the word to you once a week. Okay, so here's, here's what I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear, Pastor, I haven't read my Bible in three years, but I'm not getting fed by the sermons on Sunday morning. Like, l- listen, <laughs> uh, my job is to take the word and give it to you, but your job is to learn to feed yourself every day from the word. If you aren't in the word on a regular basis, you can whine all you want about the pastor not growing. That ain't his fault. That's yours. All right, so... Just make sure before you start throwing the accusation, I'm not being fed, that you're actually feeding yourself from the word. But that doesn't get the pastor off the hook. It doesn't mean he doesn't have to teach the word and teach it accurately. He does have to teach the word. He has to teach the word. That's why he has to hold firmly to it so that he can teach you and give you instruction in sound doctrine. Let me tell you what teaching the word is not. Teaching the word is not a boring information dump. That's almost just a straight academic lecture. In other words, hey, let me tell you this fact and this fact and this fact. Moving on. It's not information dump. It's not a practical pop psychology test. Test. I don't know why I said test. Uh, Talk. It's not, you know what I mean? Like it's not four ways to love yourself better. Four ways to have a prosperous life. Four ways, I don't know why I'm saying four. Apparently that's what, that's what you're supposed to do. Every month you have a new series. Four to six weeks, you got to roll it out. It's going to be the next greatest thing ever. And it's going to be six ways to have the perfect marriage, right? Like these are, the, these are the things that pastors get sucked into. They get sucked into this when they don't believe that the word is trustworthy. They feel like they got to prop it up. They feel like they got to make it look better somehow. Because if I just give you the word, that's never going to be enough for you. Listen, the word is trustworthy. The word is powerful. And the pastor's job is to give you the word. I'm not saying there's not space for a series about good marriages and good finances and good relationships. I'm not saying that. I'm saying his job is to teach you the word m- more than anything else. It's not just supposed to be a pep talk right like hey you can do this go 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 every week go 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 and you you walk in limping and i've got to find a way to not just give you a psychology talk give you a pep talk or maybe i've got to entertain you i've got to do cartwheels and backflips i've got to learn to juggle cuz if i can't keep you awake and can't get you to come back here these are the type of things that happen in churches it's not a talk with my personal thoughts or wisdom teaching the word is this it is simply I'm gonna oversimplify this. It's taking the Bible and making it clear to you. Right, I, I'm not doing rocket science up here. I'm taking the Bible and saying, this is what it says and this is what it means and looks like, and my job is just simply to to make it clear to you. It is, yeah, it is both theological and practical at the same time. That there's going to be things about God that are deep, that should melt your brain and blow you away. And there should be things that are so practical, it cuts you to the core and makes you want to change the way you live your life. It It's going to be both. That, that's what teaching the word looks like. It, it, it should make it should call you to believe something about God. It, So it should be deep. It should be practical. It should call you to do something and change the way you live. And that includes worship. Let me tell you something. For me me personally, this is why for the most part you see me teaching through books of the Bible. Over and over and over again. Because here's what I'm convinced that you and I both need. We need the word. Listen if I don't teach through books of the Bible, let me tell you what I'm gonna do. I will never preach the sermon that I preached last week about alcohol to you. I'll skip over it all day long because it's way easier, (laughs) right? But listen, I will go to the ones I like all the time. I will tell you about Jesus being kind and loving and compassionate over and over and over and over again. And I will miss that he's big and holy and strong and powerful and in control. Listen, you and I both need to go through the Bible over and over and over again and see all of it and all that he would say to us. Listen, the reason the pastor has to hold firmly to the word is so that he can teach you the word to make you spiritually healthy. But there's something else. And, and, and this is the part that I really like. Um, maybe I shouldn't like it as much. This is the part that feels gritty, uh, I, I like it feeling a little gritty. I like it feeling aggressive. So, so here's what's been hard about some of this stuff for me. When, when I read the first parts of this description of what a pastor's like, if I'm honest, it's, it's pretty soft and weak and docile. Can I, would you all agree with that? He's and I don't want to paint a good husband, but he never gets mad. He's really nice. He never does bad things. Like, he's just a really nice guy, right? Um, He teaches me really good things about the Bible. Like, I think I like this guy. I want to hang out with him. He's going to make me feel comfortable. He gives me hugs. Like, um, I, I like it. And then finally what happens is there's this pivot where all of a sudden you find out that these elders are not just supposed to be really nice, friendly, huggable guys. There's like a grit to them. A grit that um, is going to make you a little uncomfortable. It's a grit that can be hard. He, here's what it says. Here. It's not a grit just to tick you off. It's, it's a grit for your good. Look at the rest of verse nine. He, he holds firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and... Also, to rebuke those who contradict it. Like that word rebuke, uh, that's not like, hey, can we have a little a, a little talk for a while, a little chit-chat. It's not that. Rebuke is like, hey, you need to stop that. Right? That's the kind of talk that your dad gives you when you've been stepping out of line or, or gave you. I'm sorry, some of you are like, oh, man, I haven't had my dad give me a, a rebuke. This is the moment someone says, you need to stop it. That's wrong. Don't do it again. It's firm, it's direct, it's kind of aggressive. Now now, now picture this. Picture this. Picture you're you're teaching a Bible study and the pastor comes up and says, hey, I need to talk to you. You were way out of line with that. (laughs) Don't teach that again. this, This is a little aggressive. But he's saying here's one of the reasons why the elder has to hold firmly to the word because he has to be able to rebuke people who are going against the word. You, You need to hear this church. There are tons. There are tons of false teachers and there is plenty of false teaching out there. Not like they made a mistake on accident, but it's almost intentionally wrong. And a pastor has to be able to call that out, point it out and stand against it with kindness and gentleness, but with firmness and authority and clarity. He can't waffle on these things. Let me, let me show you a couple things about what it says here in these verses about these false teachers. Verse 9 says they contradict the word. Look at verse 10, what he says here. Look at the way he describes them. It says there's many, not a few, not one. There's many. Like Titus, I'm leaving you here. You've got to set up elders. And there's a whole bunch of people. They're insubordinate. That means rebellious. They're empty talkers. I already mentioned this. That means windbags. They talk, 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 talk. But they're not actually saying anything. It's all talk, no action or all talk and all fluff. Um, they're deceivers. They're just straight tricking you. They're lying to you. Like, like these dudes, they're going to deceive you and they're going to try to lead you astray. Here's what else they do. Look at verse uh, 11. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families. They're going to wreck your family. They're greedy. It says they're teaching for shameful gain right there in verse 11. What they ought not to teach. Listen, here's what this says. It says that the pastor has to stand against false teachers and false teaching. And there's one thing I skipped for you. Like when you think about false teachers, what, what do you picture in your head? Do you picture the televangelist dude? You know, he's, he said, listen, I need a new jet for the gospel. And it needs to be nice, like a super nice jet so I can fly from Tallahassee to Jacksonville and Orlando and Tampa and Miami and preach the word. I need a jet. I need two jets. I need a helicopter. I don't, I don't know. Are they going for helicopters now? I don't even know how that works. I need you to sow your gift of faith If you will sow your gift of faith, God will let you reap a healing, right? Is that what you picture? Listen, what's crazy here is that's part of it. Don't get me wrong. But do you know who Paul highlights here? Look back at verse 10. There are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially, let me say it this way, mainly those of the circumcision party. You know who he just said the big problem that Titus needs to worry about in this church? The good religious legalist. The dude that will tell you, man, we need to clean your life up. I got to get you to, I need to get you to obey the word, mainly the Old Testament. You got to stop eating pork. I got to get you to obey this law. You got to obey the Sabbath. I got to get you to get cleaned up according to God and what he says, he's not going to be happy with you if you don't perform this action. Listen, the greatest danger to false teachers that will wreck your family, that are rebellious and insubordinate, that don't want to obey God, they're going to give you a bunch of empty talk, they're going to lie to you and they're greedy, are legalists. They're legalist, they're going to yank you away from Jesus. They're going to drag you into a performance-based Christianity that is all obligation and duty. And he said, they're going to yank you from Jesus. You don't let that happen in the church. It's not church. I, that's why I spent that whole first time here going through the book of Galatians because I wanted you to hear and learn this, that we are right with God because of the work of Jesus and nothing else. God smiles at you because you trust Jesus on the cross, not because you cleaned yourself up and you come to church every Sunday. Listen, we come to church and we gather and we obey and we're all these things not to earn his favor, but because he's already shown us favor. That's a huge difference. And I'm telling you, legalism will ruin your kids. It'll destroy my family. You, you don't want that. Those aren't the only false teachers. There's more. I'm gonna, you mind if I name some names here this morning? All right, I'm naming names. Uh, here's one that just drives me nuts right now. Prosperity gospel. This one's been around for a while. I'm telling you, it's just this thing that God wants you to, you will be healed always. You will be rich or it's a lack of faith right? Like God's, the only thing is that you are, I don't know if y'all have seen this. I mean, I'm going to name some people Bethel ministries. It's out in California. A guy named Bill Johnson. That dude is a false teacher. And I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there. You need to stay away from his trash. Any belief that does not believe that God uses suffering doesn't know the fullness of who God is. Any belief that thinks you're, that you have faith that makes you rich doesn't believe that God says it's the poor in this world who are rich in faith. You stay away from that trash all day long because they will lead you away from Jesus. But there's more. There's legalism. There's prosperity gospel. The one that's popping up right now. Dude, there's this Christian nationalism happening right now. Okay, I say right now, it's been happening for a while. There's a worship of the United States of America and there's a worship of political parties. Listen, if we are not careful, we will get sucked down this path of these false teachers that are telling you that the next great savior of this country is either Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Neither one of those dudes are saviors and neither one of those are king of the church. Jesus is. And we're not going to let those groups divide this church. We center around Jesus. We can disagree about politics, but this Christian nationalism is welling up in the church. And it is welling up in the church in the United States. It is there and it is strong and it is powerful. There are dudes that have prophesied that Donald Trump is still president. There are people, listen, Pastors have lost their brains about this. Don't get sucked down that path. Those are false teachers with false teaching. You need to stay away from it. All right. And my job as a pastor is not to name all those. My job is to teach you the word so that you can recognize it. I don't need you to be dependent on me to dissect every single false teaching. I need to give you the word and equip you so that you can do it on your own. Does that make sense? All right. Listen, y'all preaching, y'all giving me amen, you're going to get me going here. Here, Here's the other reason. And and just so you know, like, it does not sound easy to, it sounds easy to stand toe-to-toe with false teachers that are in California or Texas. You know what sounds a lot harder for these dudes? Standing toe-to-toe with false teachers that are in this room. Does that feel kind of gritty? That needs, you gotta have wisdom that you don't take someone who's a little misguided and turn them into a heretic. There's a lot that an elder has to know here. How do you gently and patiently teach someone with wisdom and at the same time draw a line in the sand and say, that's enough, you can't teach that anymore. That's not right teaching. But there's something else, there's another reason why he has to have this. Look at what he says here in verse 12. (laughs) he doesn't just have to confront false teachers. This dude has to be able to confront the church and the culture. Verse 12, he says this. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. I, listen, I think I read this before a couple of weeks ago. Well, look at that description that Paul is giving of the people of the churches that he started. Let me tell you about these guys. They're just... They're the worst. <laughs> they're evil beasts. Paul's so encouraging. They're lazy. They, they're guns. They always, just constantly lying. When they talk, they're lying. Like, and he said, that's true about them. Let me, let me tell you what I, I see here. I, I need you to think about it. here's Titus. He's looking for elders. And, and these elders have to be able to look at their own culture and identify that and stand against it. How do you think that goes in a church? All right, like, how do you think that goes in a church that's full of, what's the phrases he used there? Uh, Evil beast, they're always liars, evil beast, lazy gluttons. All right, how do you think it goes when Paul's saying, listen, that's who the church is. You need to make sure these elders know this, and here's what they have to do. Therefore, rebuke them, and look at that word, sharply church is about to get real. <laughs> like, like, I got to find elders who are going to go to the church, not just the false teachers, but the people in the church whose lives are not in step with the gospel. They're going to be in a city and in a culture that is against the gospel in these areas. And that man has to be able to rebuke them sharply. Oh my goodness. Like, just picture this. Like he's saying, listen, I, he's got he's to hit that. He's got to hit it directly. That is aggressive preaching and teaching. It's pointed. Listen, receiving sharp rebuke is going to be tough. It's going to make you angry. It's going to make me angry. I got to be honest. And, and it's going to feel a little too direct. It, it is, right? It's just going to feel really, really uncomfortable at times, especially for sharp rebuke. Listen, church, we've got to be people who are so committed to the word that when the word is clearly taught, even if it's sharp and it's a rebuke, but it's right and it's accurate and it's loving, we're willing to accept it and repent and change. That's every single one of us. When you read the Bible and it rebukes you, even if it's direct, you need to repent and ask Jesus to help. And when you hear it preached, if it's right and accurate and true, and even if it's sharp and painful, you have to repent and, and change and just run to Jesus for this stuff. Listen, I, I look at that and I, I'm not saying it has to be that way all the time in the church, but the word is supposed to cut and look at the goal of it. It says, yeah, you want to rebuke them sharply. Why? That they may be sound in the faith. It says this, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. I already mentioned this, but I mentioned Christian nationalism in this, but this is also a thing here where I think there's sharp rebukes. Like, what, what's that conspiracy theory that's going around right now? Is it QAnon or, do you know how to say that? I'll, I'll, we'll call it QAnon. How about I call it that? Um, There's this QAnon or however you say that thing, like dude with like some kind of bullhead. Did y'all see that picture? Okay, good. Like he's storming the Capitol and this guy's starting a conspiracy theory. And do you know who buys into it more than anyone else? Church people. I I read Jewish myths and I, I immediately think stolen elections and conspiracy theories. Think about the distraction that's caused for the churches in the United States for the last three to four months. I think Paul would say to these elders who are over this, you need to make sure you, so they're sound in the faith, you need to protect them from the distractions of things like Jewish myths. You need to protect them from being distracted by politics and elections. It doesn't mean you're not engaged in these things, but you're not distracted by these things. It's not your whole attention. Your attention, your gaze, your love is with Jesus and his kingdom. You're not disengaged from the world. You're just not obsessed with it. And the elder has to be able to do that. And and so here's the deal. I'm I'm reading this thing and I'm looking at the qualification of elders, and I'm you're saying, man, that's exactly what a pastor should be like. So what does that mean for you sitting there in the pews? Listen, here's the call for you. I want you to be people who are committed to the Word. I want you to be committed to it. I want you to be immersed in the Word. I want you to be people who are actually submitted to the Word. You're not just committed to it. Because you can be committed and never read it. Uh, I don't want you just to be committed to it and people who read it. Because you can be committed to it and read it and it never changes you. I want us to be people who are committed who are immersed in it, and who are submitted to it, that when we read the word, we're actually going to do something about it. So here's some questions I have for you that I want to walk us through in response. Are you deeply committed to the word? Like No matter what it says to you, if it's clear, are you willing to change your beliefs and your practice? Are you willing to do that? If it tells you about who you can marry and who you can sleep with and when you can sleep with them, If it tells you how to spend your money and how to spend your time and how to raise your family, if it tells you, if God has the audacity to tell you how to feel about certain things, like love, and you read it and realize your life is not in step with it, are you willing to submit to it? Are you immersed in it? Like, that's my question. Like, are we a people who we hear the word once a week on Sundays, or are we a people who are for ourselves? regularly going to the word to try to encounter God through it? Like in the last three weeks, if I took a poll, how many times have you picked up the Bible for yourself to see what God would say to you personally? One time? Five? And I, I hope that you're not just the people who are committed to the word, that you're a people who are immersing yourself in the word. And if that's hard for you, I'm telling you right now, our pastors, we will bend over backwards to help you figure out how to spend time in the word and how to understand it and how to apply it. And then here's my other thing. When was the last time you actually did something based on what you heard or saw or read in the word? Here's my concern for churches. We get really good at coming to church every week and hearing a sermon or maybe even reading the Bible, but actually doing something like actually doing something like you hear, hey, I need to do this or I need to stop this. And you walk out and you can, it's so easy to walk out and say, man, I feel better now. That was so guilty, but you're not going to do anything about it tomorrow. <laughs> Listen, church, we don't need to be people who look at the word and then walk away and forget what it said. We need to be people who look at it and when it, when it confronts us, we change. Don't be people who just sit and hear the word and never do anything about it. Be doers of the word. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to guide us through a time of response right now. I know there was a lot in there about what a pastor should be like, but but here's my question. Do you believe that the word is trustworthy? And are you pursuing God through his word on a regular basis? Listen, if if you're one of those people that, you, yeah, you're a follower of God, but you and God and the word, that just that's just never happening. Can I just call you to ask God to forgive you for that and to ask him to help you begin to engage him through his word? Maybe for you, yeah, you've been in the word all the time, but the last time you actually saw something in the word and did something about it. You're in it, but you're not doing it. Listen, would you repent of just being a, I think James calls it, you're not a doer of the word, you just listen and you just walk away and forget. Don't be a forgetful hearer. Would you repent of that? Would you actually ask God to help you? Not just see what the word says, would you actually ask him to help you do the word? Maybe that feels too hard for you, I wanna remind you, I wanna remind you of this, in the areas you failed and the areas you feel like it's too impossible to obey, I wanna remind you of the gospel here. The gospel is this, that Jesus came and despite all of our failures and our weaknesses and our stubbornness, he willingly and joyfully died on the cross for all of our brokenness. Listen, he's paid the price for you not being in the word and for you not obeying, he's paid that price. But he also, he didn't just die on the cross for that sin. The Bible says three days later, he came back to life. That's power. Listen, would you actually ask him to have resurrection power at work in you to help you pursue him in the word and obey him after you've been in the word? Would you ask him to help you with that? For for some of you here today, Man, you've been in church or maybe you haven't, I, I don't know, I, I, wanna, I wanna remind you of the good news of Jesus for you personally. It's not just about reading the Bible because the Bible says once we're in Jesus, God is happy with us. And, and maybe you've never placed your trust in Jesus. You, you've never had that moment where you say, you know what, I believe that he died on the cross for me. I believe that he came back to life three days later. And I don't want my sin anymore, I want him. And I'm putting all my chips, all my trust, all my confidence in Jesus and what he did on the cross, not in myself anymore. I'm gonna ask him to save me. Listen, if you've never done that, I wanna encourage you to do that today right there in your seat. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we'd be a people of the word. God, would you do a work in all of us that, that we would be confident in the word God, would you make us a people who are immersed in the word that we're constantly pursuing you? God, would you help us to be a people who don't just, aren't just committed and aren't just reading it, but we're actually doing what the word says. God, I pray you would help us by your power, not our own. We don't want to boast about our goodness in this, but we want to see you work in our lives. So God, I'm asking you would make us a church, a people like that. And I pray that all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the things we want to do is we want to take communion. COVID makes us do it in weird ways. If you can go ahead and get your little cup out. and I'm going to remind you of the gospel. We'll take it all together. So don't get ahead of me. Um, And you're going to need some time. There's two little film things there. Uh, The crackers tricky to get to. So I'm going to give you a few moments to get that started, especially for those of us who don't have fingernails. Um, And as you're getting ready, let me just tell you what what we believe this is. Uh, As a church, we believe that this is a symbol and a reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It, it, this is the good news in a cup, basically. And and if you are a follower of Jesus, you've really placed your trust in Him. Listen, you're invited to take take this. With you. If you're if you're a person who's following Jesus and you're in good, you're walking with Him. We want to invite you to do this. But this is a moment where we would we would reflect on our walk with God and we'd remind each other of the gospel. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, please. We'd ask that you'd refrain from this. Parents, will let you, you know your kids, you know where they're at in their walk with God, we'll let you walk through this with them. I wanna give you a moment, because this is a moment. Every time we remind ourselves of the gospel, the Bible tells us we're supposed to examine ourselves. So I wanna give you a moment right there in your seat to to begin to ask this question. We just had that time of response. I'm hoping that you did that. But is there anything that you need to repent of today? Don't, Don't let that keep you from taking this. Let this drive you to repent of it now so you can take this. Does that make sense? I think sometimes we think, oh, I, 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 had a, I did a bad thing Saturday night. did a bad thing Friday night, so I can't take it today. No, 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 no. You did a bad thing Saturday, or maybe you did a bad thing this morning. Repent so that we can take this and be in right relationship with God. Just repent quickly. Don't, don't drag it out. This is a chance. Right there in your seat, you can do that. There's no penance you have to do. All right, Let right, I'll say this, there is no grace in this cup. The grace is at the cross. This is a reminder of the grace, all right? So if you can open up that top part and we'll get to this little cracker. Before you take it, let me just remind you, here's what this says. Paul said, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it with his disciples and he passed it out and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Because I want you to hear that from Jesus today. When you to remember this, your, my sin, your sin, this, I want you to think about his body that was broken for you. I want you to feel loved by Jesus willingly letting his body be broken. And hear it again for you. Like that's good news today. Would you do this as an act of worship? Would you take this with me and remember that Jesus broke his body for you and me? But he didn't stop there. I'm sorry, this is so tricky right now. I'm trying not to spill this. He also had his blood shed for us. The juice here is is supposed to remind us of of blood and his blood was shed so that, not just so that it could pay for my sin, so that it could clean you and me from my sin. Listen, here's what I want you to remember right now. He didn't just pay the price for my sin, he cleans me. Now, as you're going to take this, I want you to remember that Jesus Really cleans you. It cost him a lot. But it really cleans well. It, it really cleans you. There's nothing you've done that's so bad, no matter how many times you've done it, that his blood can't clean you of. Man, as we get ready to take this, I want you to remember and believe that when Jesus shed his blood, he actually really cleaned you and me. We need to feel clean. That's what his blood did. you take with this with me as an act of worship to Jesus? The Bible also says one other thing about this. It says every time you do this, as often as you do this, you proclaim the gospel of Jesus to one another. Do you know what we just did to each other? We just reminded each other of the good news of Jesus. I hope you feel loved by that. We're going to sing one last song together. Um, After that, our pastors will be down front. If you need to talk with us, we'd love to talk with you. If you're visiting, I would love to meet you. We'll be down front as well. But let me just remind you of this good news. Listen, he really died for you. He really cleans you. And he really, really loves you as his son or daughter. That's what kind of God he is. Would you join me in standing as we sing another song to him?